We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Listening to Setting the Pace. Now, here's your hosts, Alex Golden and the great Kent Stoling. Pacer Nation, what is going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. And joining me as he does every week is the one and only the great Kent Sterling. Kent, what do you think of the Pacers' new hire? Well, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure what to think yet. Uh, on paper, it seems fine, and we've gone through this. I'm sure you have, and a lot of Pacers fans have gone and watched the videos that the Raptors produced about Bjorkren and read his bio on Wiki and know his story about how he got started in Iowa and all of that stuff. And it's all good. It, it all seems like the right kind of hire and exactly the kind of hire we talked about, but we haven't seen him coach a game and we don't know what this is going to be. So until I've got reason to believe otherwise, I'm going to look at it positively. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said there. Like, it's funny because I've listened to different podcasts since the hiring. I've listened to different people talk about it. And it just seems like he was super, super close, probably BFFs with, with Nick Nurse. And we kind of talked about finding that next Nick Nurse. And pretty much everything Kevin Pritchard said that he wanted whenever they did let Nate go when he came out and had the end-of-season press conference is what he basically found in Nate Bjorgren based on what's you know been told to us in the media from things they like about him. Although I do get a little bit tired of Kevin Pritchard saying about everything that they do in the front office, that at the conference table, when the deal got done, it was high fives all around. <laughs> Is there anything that the Pacers do where they don't celebrate with high fives all around in the conference room from the drafting of Goga Batanza? And hell, this is true, too, with, uh, with the Indiana Fever. Every draft pick they make, oh, is high fives. We were thrilled she was still available. Okay, all right, win a championship and then high five. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I get being excited. I mean, hey, they went at least four weeks, I think it was. No, maybe even longer than that, six or seven in this coaching search. So maybe they were just high-fiving because they were done with it. Because that's a lot of – that's a lot of (laughs) – you know, that's a lot of work right there going into into that type of lengthy uh, research on your candidates. But, I mean, it was really – I think the thing that I've said multiple times on this podcast, but I just – it still just blows my mind. It's like – Whatever was reported from Woj and Shams and all those people, yeah. you can tell right now that that was agent-driven by those candidates' agents. Bjorgren was mentioned one time by Nick Nurse in a uh, serious XM Radio NBA show interview. That's the only time that his name was even tied to the Pacers. So I think that that's really telling of uh, – we don't even know who was all interviewed technically then by the Pacers. You know, and the uh, the did they think that Bjorkren was going to turn him down? Is that the one? There were high fives. What are they <laughs> celebrating? They hired a career assistant who's never had a head coaching job before. They're giving him probably a four or five fold raise 
for God's sake. I mean, you know, Nate, you want the job? Yes, let's talk numbers later. That's the way this thing went, I'm sure. Um, You know, but I I get what you're saying, and that makes total sense. And, you know, Kevin and and the staff did their diligence in trying to find the right guy. And as far as we can tell, it is kind of the right guy. We'll see if it works out. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, there's a lot that we can look at and, and talk about. I've done that on the last couple of podcasts, just given our thoughts on the hire, and I didn't get a chance to speak with you. Um, I did watch a little bit of that uh, interview, the press conference that he did once he was hired. And can we just take a moment right now and like start a GoFundMe for the Pacers? Because what kind of audio video quality was that? That was awful. Great point. I, I thought about it the entire time, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to send a note to the people that I know there and say, look, if you're going to do Zoom stuff like that, you have got to fix the audio. You've got to fix the quality of the video. What are we doing? It's like looking at a VCR tape that was smuggled here from the Soviet Union in like 1986, for God's sake. I mean, there's static everywhere. The sound is awful. It's fix the wireless in the field house immediately. Get that done or put the come over to my house. I got great wireless, right? <laughs> you come over here. I got a laptop. I got one of the new iPhone 12 Pros. You can use that. I got a little gimbal thing that you can use as, as like a steady cam. I am more tricked out than the Pacers audiovisual department is, and that's an embarrassment to the franchise. I well, couldn't agree more. Yeah, I was, I was sitting there. I'm like, this is the best quality we could get. And it's like, you know, this is a guy you're introducing, and I could barely hear him through the audio. Yeah. It was super muffled. And it's like, you know, they're supposed to be having all these renovations done. It's like, and this is, a, you know, I'm not even sure. Is it a billion-dollar franchise? Possibly. You know, I mean, you're talking about a franchise that's got a ton of money into it, and they can't afford better video and audio quality. Like, that to me was just real tacky. It's like I would have rather them just done a, a, a press conference with limited people there, like limited media there, and do social distancing and ask questions. Like, that to me would have been more productive than what they put out there on the audio and video. And they could do that. They've got Banker's Life Fieldhouse. And if you had, usually it's like, what, 20, 25 media people tops and a few people on the staff who come to these kind of events. You could do that somewhere in the Fieldhouse very, very easily. Or for God's sake, just hang the backdrop anywhere. Go to, go to the Emmis building. Emmis and the Pacers are tight. Go mm-hmm. to Jeff Smillian's office, hang the backdrop, and put Nate there. Go someplace where you've got a good connection and the quality of the video and the audio is going to be positive. It, it is absolutely ridiculous and embarrassing. And if I was Herb Simon, I would have been on the phone to Rick Fusen within a minute. And yeah. so what the hell are we doing? I'll write you a check for $500, okay? <laughs> upgrade. Somehow upgrade the connectivity. Yeah, it was, it was really bad. But, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I liked a lot of things that he said, but can we just, like, I don't know what in the heck was going on, but – what in the world was that question from Charlie Clifford? I'm not trying to call anybody out, but it's like some of these questions didn't even really, to me, make any sense. And the question he brought up where he's just talking about how excited people are and all this stuff, it's just like, dude, you got to calm down. Like, I mean, I was like cringing watching him ask that question live. Like I was like so uncomfortable. Hey, Liz, I'll tell you something about Charlie Clifford from Wish TV8. Charlie's questions sometimes make you cringe but the answers he gets to those questions are almost always among the best in the press availabilities that he covers. And because of that, those questions, instead of in my mind being cringeworthy, they're excellent because they generate the best answers. I, I know exactly what you're saying. Uh-huh. Him ask things at cold steals like of Andrew Luck or T.Y. Hilton or Frank Reich or Chuck Pagano or anybody. And I'm like, oh, geez, you know, you, you do. You kind of like, you pucker up a little bit and you close your eyes and, and you hope it ends soon. But then the answer comes and you're like, damn, there's a method to the madness. Charlie Clifford just got the best answer out of the entire media availability. Yeah, and I mean, it's, I don't even know Charlie personally, so it's not like a personal thing. I'm just sitting there <laughs> watching it and I'm like, what is this question like? This is so cringe. Like I felt like I was watching Michael Scott in the office. You know what I mean? Uh, about to about to do something so terrible. But yeah. So other than that, I mean, I thought it was fine. And and you know, it's it's crazy because out of all the people out there, the Pacers come back and hire another Nate. Like 
you know, it's like, could they not have gone with somebody like in Kevin Pritchard's tenure as a GM throughout the league, he's only ever had a coach named Nate. And I believe this is actually his first head coaching hire because McMillan was already hired as head coach when he took over in Portland. And he was already technically the head coach before he took Larry Bird's position. So this is actually Kevin Pritchard's first hire. Yeah, we'll see how good he is at this. This is, I, I think this is kind of a watershed moment for Kevin where like this needs to work out. And, and if it doesn't, then I think, and, and the Pacers are loath to make changes in that front office. They very rarely do. I mean, you can count the number of guys who've run this franchise from the basketball ops perspective on three fingers. And that's over the last, you know, 33 years. You've got Donnie Walsh, you've got Larry Bird, and you've got Kevin Pritchard, and that's it. They don't pull the plug on these guys. And, but if Kevin can't get this over the hump, and if Nate Bjorkren isn't an obvious upgrade over Nate McMillan, that kind of puts him at risk, I think. Oh, I agree. And, and with this upcoming season, I mean, there's so many questions when the season's going to start. We had talked about it a few weeks and said that it will start around Christmas. It will start this year. And I posted that on Twitter and got a lot of pushback. And people were like, oh, it won't happen until February and March. This is optimistic thinking. But I, I think that your inside sources with when the league is going to start makes a lot of sense because right now they're pushing for December 22nd for the league to restart. So before we jump into all this other stuff with what, the, what they said at the, at the press conference, I want to get your thoughts on the NBA possibly restarting in December. I, I think it's critical. If they want to play a full 72-game season, and, and shift it from 82, which I think is really positive. And, yeah. and somehow they need to find – like what baseball did because of COVID. Baseball's little novelty rules I think were crap, ridiculous, and Rob Manfred screwed up and he needs to pull the plug on all of them. But basketball may have, dis- may have figured out a way not to waste this crisis and shifting that, thing, that schedule from 82 to 72 I think is going to have a positive impact for the game. I think it would be terrific. But if you want a 72-game season, you almost have to start but on Christmas or just before Christmas to get that thing done and start to get this calendar where it needs to be for the NBA to function correctly. I, I think December, and that's what I've always said, is it's going to be right around Christmas, if not Christmas Day. They don't want to lose Christmas. Christmas has become like an NBA day, just like the NFL has Thanksgiving, the NBA has Christmas. Uh, Christmas. And, and so I, I think that it's kind of critical to get that done. I think they're going to be able to do it. I mean, we've seen that they know what they're doing. And if they play without fans, you can get that done without a bubble situation. The NFL is kind of getting it done in stadia with limited fans. Uh, baseball was in stadia with no fans in large part. Now they've got limited fans. I think the NBA is going to be able to pull this off. They control all their own venues. I think it's going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm not too worried about it either. And what I've been reading and hearing a lot is, like, they saw how bad they got crushed by the NFL restarting and with the baseball playoffs in the picture. Now, I know baseball still isn't drawing enough ratings, but they're stealing some NBA, you know, viewers just because there's other options on TV. And so really what it's come down to is I think they want to own those June and July months once again get back on schedule to how the original schedule had been, you know, previously done and, and try to salvage this season because I really think there's no, you know, bright light at the end of the tunnel for when we're going to get full capacity of fans. And that's the biggest thing. It's like, why wait until February or March uh, to, to, to see if you can have fans if you, if you can't, because then you've let all that time pass and it's just going to be different. So to me, the biggest question for me, it's like, well, if the NBA draft is on November 18th and we're playing December 22nd, when is free agency going to start? That's a great question. This is going to be a really, really weird off season. And we've got about, what do we have, three weeks until this thing really gets cracking in earnest. I, I was hoping that they would adjust the clock so free agency could precede the draft. But uh, evidently that can't be the case. Uh, you're, and you've got to give guidance to the teams as far as cap numbers and that kind of stuff based on revenue from this year. And, and so a lot of information has to be called very quickly and then utilized by teams. And we'll see whether the Pacers are able to kind of, you know, take advantage of this crisis and operate maybe a little bit more efficiently and a little bit better in terms of their execution than other franchises. Oh, I agree. And it's like, to me, when I'm listening to what, what Nate, what coach Nate had to say and, and what Kevin had to say, 
especially in regards to both Miles Turner and Victor Oladipo, with this short of an offseason, it just seems like it might be a little bit too rushed to make any drastic moves, and especially in a season that might once again kind of be a throwaway season. I hate to say it like that, but it possibly could be because they're more so worried about getting back on schedule for 2021-2022 season and getting things there. So, I mean, it, it could just be one of those years, Kim, where we don't see a lot of movement from the Pacers and they maybe try to keep this same tack, uh, this core intact with a new coach. You know, and, and that wouldn't be an entirely bad thing, would it? They've got a roster. This is the one year where their roster can return intact. The people that are at risk are, are uh, Holiday, Justin Holiday, and then T.J. McConnell. And other than that, they've got everybody pretty well locked in, and they could roll into this season with basically the same group that they had last year, but adding hopefully a healthier version of Victor Oladipo and a healthy Jeremy Lamb. And if you can do that, I, I think you're, this winds up being a team that Nate Bjorkren can win with right now. No, and I mean, I think this team is still pretty solid. And one of the reasons they brought him in is because of the adaptability. And that's what we keep hearing, the innovations, the different things that he can do. And I'm, I mean, it was funny. I had a guest on, um, her name was uh, Kelsey, Kelsey O'Brien. She covers the, uh, the G League and uh, the Toronto Raptors. And so she was talking about Nate Bjorgren with us. And she said that she believes that Miles Turner will be the player that benefits the most from the hiring of Nate Bjorgren because it, she said Miles Turner – has the potential to be a beast, and she thinks that he can unlock that. I hope so. Um, that's kind of the, the riddle of the Sphinx, isn't it, trying to figure out how to uncork Miles' potential. And, and the, the tough part of that is that you got five guys on the floor who are all trying to play to their potential, and there's only one basketball. So that becomes a little bit difficult. You know, and one of the things that Miles does really well, it, it reminds me a little bit, not positionally, obviously, but it reminds me of George Hill when he was with the Pacers, where it was Frank was kind of like, go stand in the corner and, and spread the defense a little bit. And if they slag, slack off you, we're going to pop it to you. You knock down threes. Well, George Hill has a lot of basketball ability that extends beyond standing in the corner and knocking down threes. And that's kind of what Miles could be asked to do because he is a really good corner three shooter. He's also pretty good from at the top of the key. And, and he can do some other stuff. But with Domas on the floor and Miles on the floor, you can't have both guys on the low post. So what do you do? Yeah. No, it's, it's a tough situation because, you know, a lot of people, including myself, have thought they were going to deal one of the two before the season started. Um, maybe just because I feel like two centers won't work. But I was really interested in his comments also where he said that, you know, that they'll try to look at Serge Ibaka, Marcus Saul, and their bigs and how they played – uh, turn, how they play Turner it's a bonus and I understand these guys are much younger have different goals in mind but what is interesting is I think Serge Ibaka only started half the games that he played in and Gasol only was able to play in like 40 some games because of injuries but they didn't start a whole lot together every once in a while they might have but I don't think they played hardly any time on the floor together so I'll be interested to see if he talks to Miles and says hey you know we're gonna bring you off the bench and, and we're gonna you know, do different things and kind of give you more minutes and put you better situations instead of starting you and putting you in spots where you're not comfortable or we can't utilize your talents the best and kind of use that example of Surgeon Marcus Saul to explain to him what his role is going to be. I mean, I don't know if Turner will buy into that, but I think that that's something that we could look at maybe as a possibility. If I were Miles, I would not buy into that. And I would see that as an attack on my bottom line. Yeah. You know, I, I would see that as, hey, your, your maximum – earnings over the course of your career just took a significant hit and if I were Miles Turner I, I would not be happy with that I and I'm always a guy who's like hey whatever you need to do for the team you do that if they ask you to play this role you play that role as well as you can and it's all going to come out in the wash and it's going to be okay it, but you you are a subordinate as a player and you've got to do the bidding of the coach and the general manager that's got to be what you do and it's got to be your attitude but if I were Miles Turner, I would get salty about that kind of change. Yeah, I mean, I understand that. But it's like, what are they going to do? I mean, do you really think that those two can coexist for long periods of time? I mean, they're young enough, and I think that they're talented enough they can make it work. But is it really the best pairing for this team? Or do you think going in a different direction makes more sense? 
Um, you know, I, let's give Bjorkren an opportunity to try to figure that out and put both those guys. Look, I mean, what you've got with the Pacers, and this goes to, I don't know whether we're going to talk about this or you had planned to, but these three-way trades, you, you proposed one, where <laughs> the Pacers get Joe Harris and Spencer Dinwiddie, and they give up Miles Tur- Was it Turner? Yeah, Turner and McDermott. Okay, Turner and McDermott go away, and, and you get Harris and Dinwiddie. And, and my thing is, you need a guy. You need a great player. And what the, what the Pacers have right now is a whole lot of good. Mm-hmm. Like, they got a bunch of really good guys. They, they got a bunch of three- and four-star guys and no five-star guys. They, and we saw the rankings from NBA 2K 2021 this week, and, and the Pacers – have two 85s and 83 and an 82. And then if you look a little bit deeper at a guy who analyzes uh, the, the NBA, the Pacers have nobody in his rankings in the top 37. And so, you know, you need guys like that. And, and if you're not going to have guys like that, then it's a matter of taking the five you've got with Brogdon, Oladipo, uh, Warren, Sabonis, and Turner as starters and trying to figure out how to keep all five guys happy without having an alpha male or two alpha males or, or it, like all you got are, are kind of component parts that are complementary to each other. Can you win like that in the NBA? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that you can win a championship that way. The only team that I can think of that's done it in the last 30 years is the Pistons in 2004. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when I think about it, like this isn't like trying to like go at Turner, but it's like, I don't really think Turner is going to warrant you a top 20 guy. I mean, maybe the potential with a pick is, I mean, maybe what you're hoping for, but at the same time, it's like in this year's draft, it's not a bad draft, but it's not loaded with potential stars. In my opinion, a lot of role players, a lot of guys that could be contributors, but more like you said, and maybe like a Aaron holiday type of role. So it's one of those things where I know I put that trade out there and I know people were like, why does this guy always get, give trades or the Pacers get fleeced in them. And it's like, I don't really think about <laughs> least, but I also just don't think like, it's hard to like, look at teams. Like I don't think Turner is going to get you back. Karis LeVert. I don't think Turner is going to get you back. Drew holiday. You know, you can think that maybe they can, but with both those guys, you know, being coveted by other teams, they're going to be able to get more than just miles in, re- yeah. in return for them. So it's not like I'm trying to say, Oh, well, miles is only worth those guys. But at the end of the day, Kent, you know, it's like, I'm just trying to think of like a fair trade where I'm not overvaluing my players and, you know, trying to give my team more than I'm giving other teams. I try to make it make sense for all teams. Now that's not the trade that I love. I think it made some sense, but I also said, in addition to that, I would trade Oladipo to try to bolster up my front court because I think your front court takes a pretty big hit losing McDermott and, and Miles Turner in that deal. So it was kind of like part one of a, of a, you know, a two trade deal where you try to trade Oladipo and maybe get a power forward or something back in return where that makes a lot of sense, but that's just, it's just complicated. And it's because I'm absolutely bored out of my mind with no NBA going on right now. <laughs> and I see all these fake trades and I see people talking about hypotheticals and then it gets my mind going. I'm like, okay, well, what can the Pacers get? And then I share them and then people get mad at me. So it's like, just calm down. It's just an idea. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. It never does. It never will. It's just a thought, but um, I like to discuss them and I like to make my case for why I think they make sense. And if you don't agree, then let's have a conversation, but to be like, Oh, this guy's an effing idiot or drop name calling. Like, no, that's when I'm done with you. Like, let's just have a conversation about it. You know, there's nobody in sports media being called an idiot more often than Dan Dockage, and there's nobody in sports media making more money in Indianapolis than Dan Dockage. So being called an idiot, ipso facto, <laughs> with your value among sports media guys, don't, don't shun the haters. and Throw love to the haters. Prompt the haters. Get them stirred up because that's where the money's at. Oh, well, and what's funny is all these people that come at me and, and say that I make terrible ideas, they're still following me on Twitter. It's like, uh, if you don't like what I'm saying, why do you follow me? <laughs> right. It ain't personal. Yeah, it's just, you know, it is what it is. But let's take a quick break. I want to talk about some other things. But I don't know if you heard or not, Kemp, but in efforts to grow the team chemistry in a shortened off season. Uh, new coach Nate Bjorgren has scheduled a team event where the players are going to go squirrel hunting. They're going to play capture the flag, and they're going to com- uh, compete in a canoe relay race. Now, the cool thing is the winner is going to receive a free visit from none other than Mike O'Neill at today's dentistry. So 
the winners <laughs> will be really excited because they're going to get a free dentist uh, appointment with Mike O'Neill, the great Mike O'Neill, who you've been seeing for plenty of years. And uh, yeah, so I think that's really cool. And if you've seen Nate Jorgen smile, he has already been into Mike O'Neill's uh, today's dentistry since he got here because that smile is uh, one of the best smiles I've ever seen. So anyway, uh, we'll talk about Oladipo and everything that Kevin Pritchard said about him when we come back. All right, everybody, we are back. And now I want to talk a little bit about some of the comments and questions that were asked to, to Kevin Pritchard and not necessarily Nate Bjorgen, but I guess we'll get into that a little bit. I want to talk about Victor Oladipo because it seems like Oladipo reached out to Nate Bjorgen as soon as he got hired. And they, they Nate said, Coach Nate said that they're, you know, they're both, they're positive vibes on both sides. You could feel the energy from both of them and super positive and Kevin Pritchard, basically, I, I don't really know how to read what he said about Oladipo. It, it kind of felt like he was being very careful with what he said because it is a press conference about the new coach. And, of course, he has to get asked about Oladipo. So um, I, I'm curious your thoughts on everything that was said. Well, I, I'm kind of tired of hearing about the positive relationship that Kevin and Victor have. I really don't care whether they have a positive relationship. I care whether he's going to be a part of the team. And I care whether he's going to be able to contribute in the way he did pre-injury. That's what's important to me. Those are the answers that I want. And I don't think we're going to be able to get them before the season starts. So I get a little bit worn out by, you know, Kevin putting himself in a position where it sounds like he, he's kind of, you know, capitulating to Victor and trying to woo him in, instead of managing the team. Um, so I, I don't care what kind of relationship they have, whether it's positive, negative, it makes no difference to me at all. A as far as Bjorkren having a good relationship, I think that that's the thing when you listen to people who are in Toronto or you listen to people who've worked with him in the G League or the D League or whatever it was called back then, you know, it seems like this is a guy that the players really, really enjoy playing for. But at the end of the day, it's not about whether you enjoy playing for a guy or whether you enjoy a city or whether you enjoy being a part of a team. It's about how much money you can make and what kind of asset you can be to the community, to the team, to the NBA, and how much money you can stuff your pockets with. And that's what the NBA has become. And that's what's going to drive Victor Oladipo's decision, that and his ability to play. And so uh, all other conjecture and commentary about it is just lost on me because it's immaterial. Yeah, and so I had a lot of people ask me, the looks, they're like, oh, it looks like uh, the Pacers are going to run it back with Victor and they're going to run it back with Miles and they're not going to do anything. And, you know, they wanted Bjorgren here because they, Pritchard said, oh, I asked him what he thought about our team right now. And, you know, he could, he could tell me different ways he would use our team right now. And I said, well, look, I said, I don't really know what to tell you, but last year when Frank Vogel was hired as Lakers head coach, you know, he was asked about the young players, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, and what he thought he could do with them. And he gave honest answers. He said the front office never even talked to him about trading for Anthony Davis. And I, I believe him. And, you know, I don't think Vogel was that kind of guy. And same thing whenever he went to Orlando and they traded Oladipo for Ibaka that offseason. I mean, he was raving about – Oladipo's you know youth and potential and, and and it happens all the time I mean I went back and unfor I mean I went back to watch Nick Nurse's uh press conference when he was introduced as head coach and of course he's asking questions about things he'll do different than what you know uh coach Casey had done but a lot of the same things and the same principles that he was talking about I heard a lot of the same things in Nate Bjorgren so that was exciting to me because I really do think these guys do have a lot of the same philosophies same mindsets and of course, they're going to have different ideas, but they both have the same – they come from the same root. And it's, uh, that's exciting to hear because if you've seen a coach who's been really impressive the last two years, probably the most impressed is I think you have to say Nick Nurse. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, I just – with Oladipo, I don't feel like Pr Pritchard really sold us that he was staying or if he was leaving. Basically, just like we can offer him the most money. You know, he's got the opportunity to make the most money in Indiana. You know, we want him to be here if he wants to be here type of thing. And honestly, it, it would not shock me, even if this sounds like I'm wanting clickbait, it would not shock me if Oladipo reached out to Coach Bjorgren just because he knew the questions were going to come up in the press conference about that. You know, and, and one thing that we know about Kevin Pritchard, and this is a good thing, because no general manager or coach has ever won an additional game because he was really honest with the media. Yeah. I don't know how many they've lost because of that, 
but I do know that nobody has won a game because they were honest with the media. And Kevin Pritchard is never going to show his ass. We're never going to hear like the straight dope, the raw deal about any of this stuff. You go back and you look at the way Kevin and the media communicated before Paul George got traded. Well, there's, we had no idea that was going to happen. And then you look at the way this coaching search was conducted and how, as you mentioned earlier, there was no talk. Nate Bjorkren was not on the radar. We heard, you know, about the guys down in Orlando. We heard about Finch. We heard about these guys. This guy might be the favorite. That guy might be the favorite. Well, no, it wasn't. And that's because uh, Kevin Pritchard does not deal with the media in the same way a lot of guys do, where they're, they're kind of trading in favors with, with Woj or with Shams or one of those guys. And then they get favors in return. Kevin just does his business. He knows how to do his business. He's got people in that front office who help him conduct his search. He doesn't need to be in the media all over the place. He doesn't need to be honest with us. That doesn't bother me in the least. And everything's going to be fine. He's not going to show his ass. And so we're, you know what? If one day we wake up and Victor Oladipo has been traded to the Knicks, it's not going to surprise me, but we aren't going to hear boo about it before it happens. Yeah, and that's how I feel exactly. I, I feel like the Pacers are very tight-lipped. They're a very tight-lipped organization, especially with everything. When, once once Bird left, I feel like it got super tight-lipped. Yep. And, you know, Kevin's not going to show his hand, and, and he's not going to do that in the press conference. Because if he were to come out and be like, yeah, we're not really sure where we stand with Victor, well, what kind of leverage play is that? Same with Miles. Even if they, even if they think that, oh, Miles will be traded or Miles has come out and said – that he'd like to be traded or he feels like he would flourish somewhere else, you know, whatever. I'm not saying that's the case, but I'm saying if those conversations have ha- have happened, you were not going to know about it and, until there is a trade made. And, you know, it, it really, it, it comes down to this for me. It's like Pritchard probably doesn't want to lose either of these guys um, unless it's like a slam dunk deal, you know, and, and to me, it's like, he's really trying to, to build a culture here and show that players want to stay. I mean, if you trade your longest tenured guy and the guy that was the face of your franchise for the past two or three years, what kind of message are you sending to other players? Yeah, and I think that the hire of Bjorkren shows, you mentioned his adaptability, that they want a guy to come in and give it a shot with both Miles and with Domas and and try to figure out how this group sort of fits together. And if Bjorkren can't make that work, then you go out and adjust. I, I don't think that the the Pacers are under any kind of self-imposed, you know, sort of deadline to shake up the roster or move pieces. I I don't think that that's where they are right now. It, that could all change within a few weeks or you open up camp and Bjorkman's like, "Ah, I can't figure this out. These guys were ill-fitting pieces. Mm -hmm. You know, we need guys who fit here. Here are some guys and he and Kevin develop some trust and have a good conversation about assets. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden out of that, you wind up with change. And, and that doesn't bother me. And that's really the thing that I think is going to happen. If they were going to go out, if they were somehow all, already covetous of a bunch of change, uh, I think they would have hired a different guy. But I think hiring somebody like Nate Bjorkren shows that they want to take what they've got and try to mold it into something before they dismantle it. Yeah, now, I, I've had questions, not a lot of people, but some people have said, do you call this a cheap hire? And I, I wouldn't necessarily say yes, but I don't think that it, I mean, I do think that it could have played a part in it, but I also think that he met a lot of the criteria that they were looking for. Yeah. I, I agree with both. Both things can be true. Yeah. Like it, he can be a cheap hire and the right guy. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can check both those boxes simultaneously. It doesn't have to be an either or, but there's no doubt that he didn't cost what Billups would have costed or Dan Tony. Or, or, you know, guys with a track record already of winning or some cachet to their name. Because, no, like, I remember we were talking a few weeks ago, and you mentioned Nate Bjorkren, but massacred his name, right? You, you were unsure how to pronounce his name. And <laughs> that's who Nate Bjorkren is. Yeah. You know, he's a guy that people in town are going to talk, are going to say Bjorkman for yeah. a long time because they just can't kind of wrap their head around Bjorkren. Yeah. yeah, that's who he is. And a guy who, whose name you cannot pronounce yet is not going to be a guy you got to pay top dollar for. Absolutely. I mean, that makes a ton of sense. And it's like, 
I've already been hearing a lot of podcasts call him Coach Nate. They're not even trying to say his last name <laughs> because it's it's hard enough. Like Bjorkren, it's really pretty simple. All you do is just take out the J and say how it looks. But, I mean, that's a little bit too complicated for some people. So um, it's like a silent J is in there. But what I will say, though, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it's it might have been a cheap hire, but you have to consider, one, we're in the middle of a pandemic. You know, Herb Simon and, and Baker's Life just had to let off so many employees. I don't know if that's Herb or if that's uh, um, Rick Fusion that had to let all those employees go, but whatever. Baker's Life had to let all those people go. They're already paying McMillan. It's in a weird season, you know, and it's like, to me, it made a lot of sense just to go with this guy. And I told you, when I watched that video from him on YouTube and I brought his name up a couple, like about a month ago, what is it? I said, I'm kind of intrigued by him. I said that to you. Now, it wasn't like I thought that he was the slam dunk hire, but I'm like, you know, I'm, I am a little intrigued. And so I kind of saw something there, but it didn't feel like that was the guy that was going to be the coach. But here we are. And, and now I told you, I felt like they were going to make a decision this week just because the Colts were on a bye week. And it just, it just felt like that made the most sense. But I will say this, as far as getting his assistant staff together, is there anybody in mind that um, come that you think would make a lot of sense for his staff? I have no idea. Uh, other than to say this, uh, being a guy who's managed before, it, it's really important as you're a first-time manager to have somebody, and, and in the case of the NBA, have those three assistants, if you have three, if you have four, four, but people you absolutely trust and that you've got a track record with. Because if you don't have that, it, it gets really, really lonely being at that and kind of at the head of the snake being that person for the first time it takes a while to adjust to being the only person in that position when you're an assistant coach you you've got a peer group right and you're dealing with the players from a place of not equal footing but kind of equal footing and and when you're the head coach you're an entirely different guy that is a, a, a wholly different experience professionally. And if you don't have assistance that you feel absolutely you can put your faith in 24-7, you're making a mistake. If they go out and they make strategic hires for guys, you know, it, it kind of like – and Bird, when, when Bird hired Carlisle and, uh, and Harder, you know, he had known Carlisle for a long time. So, but he hired an offensive specialist, a defensive specialist. If uh, what I would counsel Bjorkren to do is not worry about that stuff, but just sort of wrap yourself in very familiar arms from uh, uh, kind of like what Nick Nurse did when he, he hired Bjorkren, because mm -hmm. those guys have known each other forever, back to when Bjorkren was playing college basketball. So th that is the kind of hire that I hope that Nate Bjorkren makes that he surrounds himself with people that he likes and people that he trusts. So I guess I would mean you're kind of out on Chris Finch then? Well, I, it depends on what background they've got. I, I, maybe those guys have been friends for a long time. I, I have no idea. But yeah. uh, same thing with Jim Boylan. You know, Boylan's a terrific assistant coach, but I don't know if Boylan and Bjorkren know each other from Adam. <laughs> but what you, what you do have to do, and you've got to really take this seriously, is, is you've got to put people you trust around you or you are going to be, number one, absolutely miserable. And number two, it's going to take you longer to learn kind of the ins and outs of being a head coach because you don't have that support system. That support system is really, really important as a head coach. Can I ask you a, a real quick personal question? How much is Jim Boylan paying you? to throw his name out here on the podcast <laughs> boy I, I i just i <laughs> that he lives on the north side of of indianapolis and I, I can't say how but i had no idea i thought well that's the weirdest thing ever the guy never moved to chicago what was he doing he was an assistant in chicago then became the head coach and he kept his residence in indianapolis so i just think it's funny to say that uh that herb simon is going to want Boylan because he's going to be able to save on moving expenses. That, that, that's the entire reason for it is that it just kind of, it serves as, as kind of the ground for uh, roots to this joke to uh, sort of flourish. Yeah. Well, I just, I've just had people 
hit me up and they're like, why does Kent keep talking about Jim Boylan? And I'm like, well, I keep talking about Chris Finch, you know, why, why get on me, but uh, no, it's just, I had to give you a hard time there, but yeah, Chris Finch is someone that I, you know, that I really liked. And I told you he catapulted up my list. Um, it really seemed like he might be the higher the Pacers according to reports, which who knows how true those are, but it seemed like they were really interested in him. I don't doubt that that was probably the case. And they said they would help Bjorgen fill out that coaching staff. So Chris Finch would be in a, a really fun hire just because of the bigs. But when it comes to everything you've heard about Nate Bjorgen, is there a player or players in mind that you think are going to really flourish or benefit from this hire? I, you know, I, I would guess that like many have speculated that Miles Turner is going to be a guy who, who kind of is unlocked a little bit because I think that that's what Bjorkren does, right? Is he tries to figure out ways to put guys in a position where they can flourish. And, and I, if you're an ill-fitting piece, as Miles has been, especially the last year, I think that Miles needs somebody to kind of break him down, break the team down, and figure out how he becomes a piece of the puzzle that fits correctly. And if not, you move him. But I think Bjorkren, is, is, at least as people have discussed him, is kind of a guy who's really, really good at that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And it's, it'll be interesting to see what he does because I think if he gets the right staff, it'll really help. Do you think there's any chance that Bill Baino stays on staff? I think he wants to. And, mm-hmm. and Bill's a really nice guy. Uh, I don't know. It, you know, what I would like, it, it seems like Bjorkman was really good. And this is one of the things that he gets, he gets applauded for uh, is developing guys like OG Ananobi. And, and guys who are drafted maybe a little bit later, and then somehow or another, they sort of flower, uh, you know, uh, Pascal is another guy who comes to mind. Yeah. It's Davis, uh, Fred Van Vliet. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Van Vliet's another terrific example. I want guys who can turn those B-level players into A-level players. Yeah, I think that that's important. I think guys win you games. I don't think scheme wins you games. I think Bjorkman's got all the scheme knowledge that he has to have. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need any more of that. I mean, if if what he was saying during that uh, Zoom call with all of us is true, it, he's he's discussed and dissected scheme 12 hours a day, every day for the last, you know, 25, 30 years. So he's got plenty of that. I think he needs guys who can develop people and, and maybe Bill Bano's a guy who can, but we haven't really seen guys develop with the Pacers in the way we would like to, I don't think. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I think this is why I'm super excited for a guy like Aaron holiday. Uh, I, I really think that he's kind of got, I mean, maybe not the same, sh- like maybe not the same shooting stroke as a Fred Van Vliet, but he's kind of the same size, good on defense and offense has the potential to, to be really special in this league. And I think a lot of people like Aaron Holiday. And I've talked about this with Fachi. Um, the last couple of years, there's been rumors that teams have tried to trade for him. So I think that that shows that there are people intrigued by his, you know, um, his attributes, his intangibles. And I think that maybe a coach like Nate Bjorgren can kind of uplift him because what we say about Nate McMillan is he's the Sarge. You know, he was a little bit tough. Uh, kind of didn't get involved in the personal relationships of players and let them do that thing. He just coached basketball. And I felt like at the beginning of the year specifically, Aaron Holiday was a little bit in that doghouse with McMillan and the leash was super short. I feel like Bjorgren's going to provide some positivity to grow Aaron Holiday. And hopefully he said he wants to see all 12 players be able to play. Hopefully that means that we're going to get some more opportunity for Goga Batadze to, to get some opportunities and to be able to grow and have that positive reinforcement because that is the thing that Kevin Pritchard kept preaching was positivity. I mean, so I, I think that that's something that we really have to look at. And with McMillan, you know, McMillan knows that you don't get paid to develop players, uh, especially after that initial honeymoon period, you, you get paid to win games. And so yeah. you put the five guys on the floor who are going to help you win the game best at every given moment. And what Bjorkman's coming into is, is sort of that honeymoon period where he's going to have enough slack on the rope to be able to do what he wants in terms of development and playing a guy like Gogo maybe 12 minutes 
or, or playing a guy like Alistair Johnson, if you want to do that, or, or, I'm good. you know, find, find out if TJ Leaf can do anything and put him <laughs> in a situation where maybe he can do it. And, and if not, get rid of his ass finally, once and for all. But I, I think that because this is his first year, nobody gets fired right out of the gate in their first year. There, there's a little bit of time and a little bit of patience that he can exert and will be exerted toward him that's going to allow him to play guys from the bench like we've discussed. And, and to me, I hate to say this, but with a 72-game season, with it coming back so quickly, with the questions about Oladipo, with the future of Miles, if it's here or not, you know, what are the Pacers going to look like? What are they going to do? I think this season could kind of be like a trial and error type thing. I hate to say that, but I mean, I know the Pacers want to win, but it seemed to me like Pritchard acted like he wanted Bjorgren to be here for a long time. I think they're tired of kind of having to go through the coaching search process every four years. I think that Kevin Pritchard specifically probably wants to find that next Brad Stevens type or Eric Spolcher type that's going to be able to be there for a long time. And no matter what players come in and out, that coach is able to implement his system and, and players are able to develop and grow from it because we've seen so much uh, uh, of their imprint on their teams with Stevens and Spolcher and now Nick Nurse more than likely, you know, be able to get more out of their guys than they previously had. And I think McMillan did an, a pretty good job at that already, but I think being able to develop young players, being able to be adaptable, play a new modern style of offense and defense, change things up, not just be kind of stubborn in your own ways. And I hate to say that about McMillan, but it's kind of true and not being afraid to mess up with the rotations, because I think that you're going to see shorter practices. You're going to see more rest and I'm okay with that. I know that it's not going to be as fun watching, but there's just a lot of things I like about Bjorgen, but I feel like he's going to get more of an opportunity to, you know, fail in a sense before they fire him. Yeah. Although I guarantee you that if we're talking to each other every Sunday in 2024, we're going to be talking about a new coach. Yeah. (laughs) That's just the way it goes. Every three, four or five years, the Pacers are going to cycle through another guy. I hope your current winds up being here for, you know, 15 years, but that's with very, very few exceptions. That's just not the way it works in the NBA. And it's really not the way it's worked with the Pacers since, Hell, since like slick, yeah, you know? <laughs> slick well, was. A- I know. Coach, <laughs> so you know what are you gonna do? Well, I mean, if he's if he's the right coach, and they're able to win a lot of games, and they're able to overachieve, and you know, get close. I mean, I'm not saying right. I mean, we've talked about it for multiple episodes. This team's not championship ready right now. Their player or players away from that. So they've got nice pieces. We've talked about that earlier you know, trying to find the right trade to bring in more potential. I mean, it's just, it's a hard, it's a hard gig when you're in Indiana to really achieve the ultimate goal with limitations on your roster. So it's, it's up to the coach to, you know, kind of be adaptable. But I think, you know, I, I've talked to some people and they don't think that our talent is too far off from what the Raptors had last year. So if Bjorgren is anything like Nick Nurse, I'm hoping that we might be able to finish in the top five, but I have the Pacers right now as currently constructed finishing in the top six. Well, I, and you bring up a great point and that's expectations. Yeah. You know, and if the expectation is to grow this thing in three years to being a championship contending team, they got to go out and get a championship contending guy, not as a coach, but as that A-level player. And that's a guy that right now they don't have on the roster. And I don't think they've got a guy who can develop into it. I think that they've got component pieces that can be the B, C, and D level players that you need to contend for a championship. But they don't have that A level guy right now. And I don't know how you go about getting that guy. And without that guy, we're going to be in the same jackpot, you know, year after year after year, winning 48 to 50 games and then being eliminated at some point in the playoffs. And, and if that's success, then that's success. But if you want a championship, it's not the coach that wins the championship. It's the guys who the coach deploys. And if, if we need any proof of that, you've got it in Frank Vogel. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing. I mean, I think that maybe they've kind of looked back and realized they were a little bit too harsh with Vogel because I feel like Vogel would have, would have been a great coach uh, had he just stayed on here. You know what I mean? Um, especially once they got Oladipo, someone super positive, Sabonis. I feel like, you know, I mean, say what you want. I don't know who you think's better X's and O's wise between him and McMillan, but I do think that Vogel would have been fine with that roster 
especially since there was so much turnover, he wouldn't have had to worry about, you know, being an, you know, an old voice. It would have still been a new voice to these guys. So that's, that's where it's all about. I mean, where it's all at because so many, so many players change teams so often, but with, with uh, us locking up Malcolm and Sabonis and, you know, TJ Warren's probably due for, you know, another extension coming up here shortly. I mean, you've got a core guy, you got a, a group of guys that you can count on to be your core. I mean, so, I mean, Turner still has three years left and uh, Aaron holiday is probably going to be extended here too. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming within the next you know year or so. So you've got a nice core, but like you said, we just have to continue to grow that core. I'm not necessarily sure how they do it or how they go about doing it, but they, they have to make some changes to this roster to be a championship level, but developing young guys and maybe finding, you know, the next Duncan Robinson or, or finding the next Terrence Davis or the Fred Van Vliet that was undrafted, find that guy and hopefully Bjorgren can, can figure out a way to tap into their potential. And, and that's the key, you know, and, and so you've really got to wonder as you look at the Pacers and their drafts over the last few years, you know, you, what have they gotten? I, they got Miles. And other than that, nobody who's starting for him today was drafted by the team, right? Mm-hmm. Tomas and Vic drafted uh, by Orlando. Orlando. Mm-hmm. And uh, TJ uh, was with the Suns, you know, and, and Malcolm with the Bucks. So you've really had to go out and either make trades or sign guys as free agents because with the draft, you haven't been able to do stuff. With free agents, you haven't been able to do stuff. You go out and get a guy like Anabogo or, uh, you know, Alizé or Sumner or Niang, that just this litany of guys. Leith, Holiday's not a washout at this point. Batanz is not a washout at this point. But you really don't have a lot to show for a lot of drafts. And I don't know whether that's a matter of, of talent appraisal and scouting or whether that's a matter of a coach who is unwilling to deploy them and develop them. I'm not sure. So you got to find out. I think it's a little bit of both, to be yeah. honest with you. I really do. I, I mean, I don't really know much about our scouting department, but I feel like um, there's a lot of teams doing a lot of things better that are, you know, later than them in the draft. And I mean, even before Nick Nurse got there, I felt like Toronto was still hitting on some later picks. You know what I mean? So it's like, um, I think Boston has done a decent job with some of their young guys, but still they're kind of, they've kind of had higher picks thanks to uh, the, the Grizzlies and the, um, the Nets trades. But I mean, there's just teams like, you know, for example, like Kyle Kuzma. I mean, what, what do you, whether you like him or not, what the Lakers were able to do with him. I mean, he was still a serviceable player in the NBA finals and that was probably more than Doug McDermott was doing for the Pacers in round one. So I just, you know, they got to find those guys and they, they need to find that next Danny Granger, that, that next late lottery pick or late draft pick that's going to turn into something um, special because we know they're going to be in the, you know, the 18 to 25 range for the majority of their drafting because they refuse to tank. So um, a lot of the same points we talked about, but I mean, hopefully with a new coach that is a good player developer, we'll start to see this Pacer team grow and have a nice little youth movement. Yeah, and you've got to ask the question conversely with the Raptors, right? The Raptors, did they do a great job of scouting? You know, Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet and OG Ananobi? Or did they do a great job of, of drafting guys with physical attributes that they coveted, bring those guys in, and then develop them into basketball players? I, I'm not sure which, but boy, they've got a core of dudes who can flat play who are acquired at the same level, at same position, or in some cases beneath the guys that the Pacers took and have gotten nothing out of. Yeah, and, and they've also made smart trades. Like the Pacers made a smart trade in getting T.J. Warren, but the Raptors made a smart trade in getting Kyle Lowry, you know, yep. someone that had kind of journeyed a little bit throughout the NBA. But look at what Lowry has turned into. I mean, he's a, a, a multi-time all-star, and he's a guy that I trust in big moments to make the right play. I mean, that pass he made over Taco Fall to OG Ananobi in game three of that Celtics Raptors series was just incredible. So, you know, I'm really, I'm really enticed by what the Pacers are going to do going forward and see what kind of changes they make. But overall, I mean, even if we don't make a lot of changes, I still think this roster is really good enough to compete at a high level. And I'm not going to be worried about that. I'm actually pretty excited um, to, to see what this team can do and, and see how the coaching style changes things up a little bit. 
you know, and, and here's how things work from time to time is that you get a guy who's kind of a ball buster in the way that Nate was and a detail-oriented guy, and that guy goes away, and he's replaced by a guy who's a little more touchy-feely, a nicer guy. And I think that Bjorkren, I love Nate McMillan, but I, not a touchy-feely guy. Um, and, and Bjorkren kind of is. And so I think he can come in and, and give a lift. I always go back to this example, and I think it's a good one, that Buck Showalter, when he ran the Diamondbacks in Arizona, like he was a, a complete madman with this, this uh, binder, like 200-page binder of rules and how you needed to dress on the road and comport yourself at all times and this and that and the other. And it drove guys nuts. Showalter gets fired. Bob Brenly takes over, and Brenly is exactly the opposite guy First thing he did at the team meeting when he was announced and, and introduced himself to the team is he took Buck's binder and he threw it in the trash. <laughs> and, and the guys cheered. They went out and won a World Series in, their fir- in, in Brenly's first year as a manager. That kind of thing can happen when you've got a taskmaster being replaced by somebody who's a little bit kinder and gentler. Uh, you can really see an immediate uptick in the level of play. I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen with the Pacers. No, I wouldn't either. I think a new voice might bring some fresh energy to that locker room as well. And I'm excited, Kent. I know you are too. Um, Anything you want to plug for this upcoming week? No, not really. Uh, We just keep rolling. And, uh, you know, Breakfast with Kent, every day on Facebook Live at 8 straight up, 8 in the morning, and then immediately thereafter on Periscope and Twitter. The Twitter feed's at Kent Sterling. Very, very easy to find. And uh, this, I do what I love, so I never work a day in my life, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, tomorrow we're going to have a, a double crossover show with uh, Locked On Pacers, Tony East, and uh, Indy Corner's Mark Schindler joining me on, on this podcast. So we'll have a nice little, uh, you know, little Pacers conversation about the future and all that fun stuff. And then me and Fachi, we ended up pushing back our draft prospects, uh, you know, guys who think the Pacers might like to look at if they were to trade up in the draft or guys they could look at in the second round towards the end. We're going to go over some different prospects we might like. But other than that, all I got to say is that was a great win by the Hoosiers yesterday, starting out the season right. Ain't kidding. I, I haven't taken off my IU sweatshirt since last night, as idiotic as that is. And, and kudos to Tom Allen. And Tom Allen is a guy that I've vilified on occasion and criticized on many others. Yesterday, he had the onions to go for two in that first overtime, and that won them the game. It was the right call. but And I tweeted that it was the right call before we found out whether Penix's touchdown was going to be upheld or not. It was absolutely the right call. That defense was gassed. And Tom Allen really showed me something yesterday in having the onions to go ahead and go for two and end that game one way or another, bet on his offense and say, I think these guys are going to be able to get me the three yards we need to beat a top 10 team on our schedule since for the first time since 1987 for god's sake terrific win for the hoosiers yeah it was awesome and i'm so glad that the official down there called that a a touchdown before they went to review because i feel like if they would have called that no good and they reviewed it it would have stood as well and it would have been no good and the the hoosiers lose that game but i mean it was very 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 close and i felt like all the angles were really hard to you know overturn or justify that that decision because even if you looked at it from a side angle, it looked like the ball crossed the plane, but that's a side angle. So you don't really know if it did or not. And I feel like angles can be so deceiving, but I was so happy to see the the Hoosiers get that big win over number eight, Penn State. You know, and if I'm a Penn State fan, I am really not happy with James Franklin. I thought that they were poorly coached. And and the the first thing you got to do as a coach is try to figure out how to eliminate all the ways you can lose. And all the ways your roster can lose you the game, the mistakes that are going to cost you the game. And Penn State just kept making mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake, it was like target penalty, targeting penalties, uh, whether it was interceptions, uh, whether in the end with a minute 42 left, the kid goes into the end zone instead of taking a knee at the one. There's no way Indiana wins that game if the kid goes down at the one. These guys, I thought, played poor football, and I thought they were poorly coached, and I think that lands directly at James Franklin's desk. Well, James Franklin, uh, you know, uh, sorry about you, but Tom Allen out coached you yesterday, and uh, it's, uh, it's unfortunate for, uh, for Penn State fans, but uh, don't be crying because IU beat you. It wasn't that last play that beat you. It's the fact that IU is pretty much 
dominant up until that fourth quarter and then came back and tied the game up. So um, I, I just got to say this. It was about time you got a break. They have not had a, a break in multiple years. have been close in so many different games against Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, and they just can't ever get over the hump. And then today, or yesterday, I should say on Saturday, it was just unbelievable to actually see them be on the on the positive side and um we're, we're talking about positivity with coach and a bjorgren maybe bjorgren bringing that positivity to the indiana hoosiers football team all positivity and, and i like nate and i think he's going to do a terrific job let's see whether that comes to pass absolutely well okay everybody we'll talk to you all next week we hope you guys have a great rest of your week for the ones who get going when the going gets tough, and the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.